When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Rick Reed. Rick is the brand manager for Ride Concepts, a mountain bike footwear company based in Reno, Nevada. Before joining Ride Concepts, he was a sales director at 510. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Really excited to be on the program. So have you always been a mountain biker? Not always. Um, when I you know, was a child, I was playing in the woods and you know, being a little dirty kid in rural Pennsylvania. And um, so I first was exposed to bikes, you know, when I was like probably three or four years old. And, you know, that's how we explored around the woods and, and got around. But I definitely was not a mountain biker. Um, I started to get into riding motorcycles and raced motocross in my younger years through high school, a little bit into college. And, uh, you know, actually was then introduced to mountain biking by my dad, who started to, to dabble in it a bit himself. And, you know, when I was still 16, 18, you want to have a motor, right? And bicycles aren't, aren't that fun. So, but, uh, it's a lot of work and it's just like, I can go faster on my dirt bike. I can hit bigger jumps, you know, it's more fun. But, um, basically I, right after, right around coming out of college, we, we took a family trip to Mammoth and, um, I tried downhill for the first time. And that's what just sold me on mountain biking. I was like, okay, this is like motocross without a motor and, you know, super fun and I can wear flat pedals and not be clipped in. And so that was the beginning of, um, the transition out of like, you know, riding moto so much and and racing moto to eventually becoming a mountain biker. And, um, that's kind of just, you know, how it's progressed to, now, you know, riding mountain bikes a lot and being a crucial part of my life and obviously also part of my career, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I got to ask you what, what shoes were you wearing at Mammoth that day? Like I actually do remember, I think I still have, I think I still have them. So that was a pair of Vans and I think it was like the Jeff Rowley, uh, Vans from back in the day, a little bit thicker, bulkier. Cause you know, this was like 2004 or something. But what happened then was that, like I said, like, you know, anytime I'd been mountain biking before that, especially growing up in back in rural Pennsylvania, you know, super rocky terrain, more XC style. So I was wearing clips and you're on a, you know, I was riding a, a giant NRS, which we joked around stood for no rear suspension. Like it had, it had a rear shock, but it didn't really work. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I wore vans. I remember at Mammoth and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. You know, you can literally ride a bike like this and not have to be clipped in. And that suited my style coming from moto. So I did a little research then as I started to get uh, more into mountain biking, got my first, you know, all mountain free ride bike and 
that's where I was doing, you know, forum searches and discovered this brand 510. It's like, oh, it's a climbing company, um, but they make this one shoe called the Impact. And, you know, that was the beginning of it for me. It was like, I remember getting that first pair of legit shoes with, with good sticky rubber and walking across mom's floor and being like, this is crazy, you know? Um, and that just changed everything. It's like, yeah, you don't have to, to clip in if you don't want to. And I guess that was the beginning of the, of the revolution for me and <laughs> rest is history. Well, Ride Concepts launched at what ended up being the last Interbike in 2018 in Reno, which is basically, I mean, that's where your, your company is based now. What was the reception like there at that time? You know, it was, it was really positive, but it was also different because that was the first Reno Interbike. Um, and last. <laughs> Um, so it was a much smaller show, but I know the show had already been shrinking for years, you know, in Vegas, that, that show was getting smaller and smaller each year. So I came to Reno, it was that much smaller. It was so cool to do it in our backyard and, and do it here. I mean, we had, you know, rushed to get sales programs together and everything just in time for the show. We didn't have product yet. We just had some samples of the, the first several flat pedal shoes, um, and we had we had the early samples of the premium line too, but they you know wouldn't come out for another eight months or something. But it was it was really cool because a lot of people weren't expecting a new footwear focused brand to just pop up you know at the show, and people were just there was a lot of questions like who's funding you, how are you guys doing this, how are all these things happening, and that was kind of the fun thing because it's like you know I already knew a lot of people from my past, you know, across retail and things. And, and they were just like really excited to see something fresh. That was the main thing. Like, wow, someone else is coming into the market with a legitimate product and a full offering. Like it wasn't just, we were launching one shoe, you know, we were focused on footwear and we had a full line to show, even if it wasn't quite available yet. And, and we started shipping first product um, several months after the Interbike show. But now that the the reception was really positive and and we we won best of show with our booth too. It was a hand built booth by a local guy here, um, you know, all out of wood and, and recycled materials and, and um pallets and things and, and just some artwork. You know, we didn't even have photography back then. We just had some artwork to to try to guide the launch the brand. Um, but it was kind of cool to win best of show when we, you know, were brand new to, as a, as an organization. Yeah. Were you surprised by the, the enthusiasm around the brand or, or were you pretty confident going into it that, you know, yeah, the, the mountain bike market needs something different, something new in this area? No, we, we were definitely confident that the market needed this and, and it needed a fresh approach to what had kind of become a stale category. You know, we knew that, that we needed progressive design in the product and um, a different way of having a brand that was just focused on bike footwear, especially in the mountain bike leaning segment. Um, so we were confident going into it, but of course there's a lot of unknowns, you know. I mean, it's like, are people going to like the styles, the colors that we're launching with? And, and we were a bit, you know, we launched a bit more on the conservative side in the sense of like, colors and offerings like it we weren't coming out with anything that was insane looking or you know it, it was it was your kind of general colorways we played a little bit safe in that sense and we think that the main thing was we knew we had competitive price points like mm -hmm. 
especially with our Livewire $100 flat pedal shoe. There's a lot packed into that shoe at 100 bucks, and no one else in the market was doing that. So we knew that we were coming out with something fresh. Um, we had tech stories, with, especially with partners like D3O and Impact Protection. You know, it, it's we were coming in pretty confident for sure, but it was you never know what what kind of expectation you're gonna or, or, you know reception you're gonna get totally. And I think that we exceeded expectations. We came out of that show feeling really good and really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the sort of competitive price points and a hundred dollars for a pair of bike shoes. You know, I mean, all things considered, that's not that bad. But to a lot of people, still. It does seem like mountain bike shoes are more expensive than regular shoes, especially when, you know, like you experience yourself, you know, you can kind of get away with some more, um, you know, general purpose shoes when you're first starting out. Is there really an advantage to wearing something specifically made for biking? Of course, there's it's it's purpose built, you know, just like any of the other apparel items or, uh, you know, other things that we use in the sport for our gear, um, it's going to have a different price point than maybe, you know, when you say, Oh, my everyday shoe or everyday shorts or something like that. But it's, you know, you have to think about how different it really is. Like, yeah, sure. A pair of vans can be 60, 80 bucks, whatever, but they're made to be a casual shoe or, or maybe a skate shoe or something like that. You don't have all of the protection built into it. You don't have all of the different performance materials and, you know, out specific outsole designs, the tooling goes into those materials and outsole designs, etc. And then of course there's economies of scale where just to take, for example, a company like Vans is building millions of pairs of shoes is a massive global company. And I mean, of course, nothing against them. I mean, look what they've done. You know, they've been around since '66, and they continue to get more and more popular. It's, I mean, not many companies can say that, especially in a sense of fashion and 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 gear like that. I mean, you know, every kid in California has to have a pair of Vans or five pairs, right? Like, and that's just California to give an example. But you know, it's you look at any kind of performance product that's built for a specific sport, and you're going to pay more, whether that's as much as a snowboard or ski boot where you're looking in you know, a motorcycle boot, any of that, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, right? That's very, very custom and, and, and purpose built. And they're only selling, you know, how many of them compared to a tennis shoe or a running shoe that sure, there's plenty of technology that goes into it, but your economies of scale are huge because you have so many people using a running shoe or a tennis shoe, you know, mountain biking is a little bit more niche than that. So not only are you in the sense of the economies of scale, you know, we're not selling that much in quantity compared to products like that or, or big players like a Nike, Adidas, a, a Vans, whatever that's selling mass market shoes. But you know, we're we have very specific needs in the in the types of materials that we need, the tooling that we need to come up with to have uh, a clipless shoe or a flat pedal shoe. Um, you know, it's very specific for sure. So you know, these these materials have to perform, whether that's an upper material that needs to be, you know, weather resistant, but breathable, um, you know, gusset and tongues and the protection we use in our toe and heel. And, you know, there's all these different elements that have to come together that you have to source and design and, and have come out still at a, at a price that, that makes some sense, you know, that you do obviously have some challenges and restraints there. Right. Yeah. Well, Vans, I mean, that's a really interesting example and brings to mind another question that I didn't even realize I had. But, you know, Vans, 
is seen as, I mean, it's a, it's a fashion brand in a lot of ways now. Um, and I don't know that it started out that way. Do you see, uh, mountain bike culture being in a position where perhaps it could influence style in that way? Like you said, initially the designs were, were very conservative with ride concept shoes, but do you see the potential to maybe break new ground and then that like sort of spilling over into other markets where people are like, Hey, that's just a cool shoe. Like I'm not a mountain biker, just like I'm not a skateboarder, but that's a, that's a good looking shoe that I would wear. Yeah. I mean, I think it's happened in the past and action sports in general, maybe it's not necessarily mountain biking, but like it certainly has happened in, in moto. You look at a brand like Fox, you know, that was able to break out of just motocross and become more lifestyle. And, and I remember when, like, wasn't it the Backstreet Boys ended up wearing like Fox chest protectors in a video in the late nineties. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's quite an endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's just random things like that. I mean, you know, that we're not looking at it that way. Like we're definitely focused on building specific product for mountain bike, BMX, you know, um, any kind of thing that revolves in that kind of dirt focused segment for us. But we, you know, do have capabilities of kind of expanding upon that and, you know, having other items that might appeal to people who definitely get into the sport and, but want to be a bit more diverse as well. So, I mean, those design elements, you know, obviously mountain bikers, a lot of people are focused on fashion and, and stuff, but we're all still nerds, right? Like we're, it's, it's a fun part of the sport to have, you know, fun kits and, and gear. Um, are we ever going to, are we ever going to influence outside of the, the sport a whole lot? I don't know. Um, who knows, you know, fashion's a, tricky thing but i think we all take our cues from a lot of inspiration of other parts of of uh sports or music or art or something you know so it's kind of a cyclical thing right yeah definitely yeah i remember one time riding uh mountain bikes with some friends in the city here in atlanta and we were stopped at a stoplight and a, a guy you know in this flashy must have been like a bmw or something rolls down his window and he asked me, Hey man, what, what are those shoes? And, you know, I was wearing these, like, I, I don't know what they were, something with a boa, you know, a really XC kind of oriented shoe or whatever. And, and, you know, I said, Oh, these are, you know, these are, uh, forget what they were looks or something like that. And he was like, Oh man, those look, look super cool. And I was just surprised at that. Cause I was like, really? I, yeah, I never really thought about that, but, but it is so different, you know, from like other footwear because it is purpose built and purpose designed and yeah i could see that having an appeal maybe to a certain demographic well it does you know our our vice line um we launched vice last summer and we'll be adding to it here very soon with additional models but it's that shoe that's like it's still a bike shoe but it's also very lifestyle looking and we can have cool patterns you know we have one that's camo and, and they certainly do catch people's eye, whether or not they ride bikes, you know, you, you get feedback and, and compliments on it. So I think that is kind of cool, you know, to have that like street inspired stuff that people who don't ride can still look at and be like, Oh, those, those are awesome. You know, um, now we're not necessarily going to drive down that path and, and, and become a lifestyle focused company. That's, that's not our goal or mission or anything, but I agree. It's, it's awesome to have like a bike 
product um, that people take notice of and, and think is cool outside of the sport. It's it's you know, like I said, we're all we're all bike nerds and live in our own world on that. But uh, it's it's always fun whenever other people can kind of you know kind of join that culture in some way and and get something out of it. Well, a big focus, especially with flat pedal bike shoes, is how well the sole grips the pedals. Obviously, that's that's a big part of it. But how does that same grip, you know, the the kind of rubber to the to the pins grip translate to trail grip when we're talking about hike a bike? You know, it seems like the surfaces that we're walking on, you know, whether it be roots or rocks or you know loose dirt, are way different from pedals. So it. How do you kind of split the difference between those two things, or is that a hike a bike even a consideration? It is, and it's a it's a challenge for sure because I, when it comes to rubber applications, it's much more purpose driven to work on the pedal, right? And it's a combination. You know, I say it's a package. It's a package of your outsole design, of the flex of your shoe, and of the rubber compounds. So all those things have to be taken into consideration for that shoe to perform well on the pedal. And of course, um, the type of rider you have, you know, and we do gender specific uh, fit and flex. So we consider youth, we consider, you know, women, we consider men and and take it all into consideration and have a different shoe for each, just because you're going to apply different amounts of pressure and, um, your, your foot shape is going to be different too. So all these things come into consideration and that's, you know, to have the best connection possible on that pedal and still be durable. And then to add the element of a hike a bike, again, you, you need to look beyond just a rubber compound. But when you look at our premium line uh, on our flat pedal shoes, such as the power line or TNT, we use a specific hike a bike section on the toe and heel. That's a bit more recessed, a bit of a different pattern, um, in the actual mold. So we feel that that's adds a little bit of, you know, more bite to a condition of like, roots, rocks, things like that. Also the, the flex of the shoe that, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of flex in the toe area that allows you to get a little more, you know, friction on those surfaces when you're off the bike. So you want to have like, you know, some level of, of, uh, support when you're on the pedal, but obviously not overly stiff because that shoe needs to still bend around the, the, the pedal. Um, so there's all these different things to consider for sure. And I think, you know, still number one is it's got to work on the pedal because if it doesn't work on the pedal, then it doesn't even matter if, if, if it works hiking or not, because like, you know, if you're not happy on the pedal, you're not going to put those shoes on and, and go ride in them. And that's, that's the main thing is you, you want to have a shoe that's going to be awesome on the pedal and still obviously be comfortable when you're hike a bike, hike a biking. But it's got to it's got to flex to do that. It's got to do a number of things, and it's and even the upper you got to take into consideration the upper because when you're when you're off the trail and you're walking around, I mean, you know, you could have great grip, but if you have a shoe that has a super stiff upper that is just pinching the top of your foot when you're trying to hike up some steep section that you're that you're you know sessioning, it's that's not fun either. So. There's just so much that goes into it. Um, and that's why we test the product. You know, that, that's why we, we do stuff. We, we go out and we test it and, you know, we're, we're a ride our own company. We all ride and that's what we do on a daily basis is your lunch rides or after work, whatever it's, it's testing out the new stuff. And that's one of the things I like most about this is, um, you know, we're the ones that are, that are using it and wearing it. 
Yeah, it's funny. It seems like in a lot of ways over the years, bikers have kind of bought into this myth that there are these like special compounds that, you know, are basically, you know, turn you into Spider-Man where you can, you can like walk up anything with them. And the things that I've found that work really well on the pedals don't necessarily work very well if I'm, you know, trying to walk across a slippery log or something like that. Right. Um, and you mentioned flex, um, being able to, you know, add more pressure onto your, your ball of your foot or your heel, you know, if you're in a hike a bike situation, is there a sweet spot when it comes to sole stiffness? It seems like we've been told for biking that a stiffer sole is always better, at least when you're on the pedals. But again, um, we're not always on our pedals, are we? No. And, you know, I think it comes down to a couple of things. It's personal preference. It's sometimes exactly what you said, being told that and then thinking that that's what you have to do and thinking that's the answer. And I don't think it always is. Like personally, I prefer a shoe with some level of stiffness as compared to something that's extremely flexy and doesn't have a, a midsole or something. But, you know, all of our shoes are built with, uh, with midsoles and we have, you know, good construction so you're not just using a a cheap cup outsole on everything with no midsole i mean our vice shoe is built with a cup outsole which you know allows a little more flex than some of our other shoes but we still have uh three millimeters of eva in there which you don't typically find in a cup outsole so we we um try to find that right balance with everything. And I think every shoe has its purpose as well. So like, you know, we have some shoes in the line, they're going to be a little bit stiffer like the Hellion. Um, but then the power line that actually does feature that specific hike a bike tread on the toe and the heel, that shoe actually flexes a little bit more. So, you know, stiffer, always better. No, it's, you have to have pedal feel. Number one, when you're on flat pedals, like, you know, even having, great rubber, great friction, you still have to be able to feel that pedal to some degree. So if you build a shoe that's insanely stiff, you're you're not going to feel feel that pedal at all. So there's certainly a balance to strike here. And um it it's a lot of things to consider. The other things too is, you know, we have we use two different rubber compounds on our flat pedal shoes. We have our max grip uh, which is our 4.0, meaning the durometer is in the 40 range, and then our high grip, which is 6.0, meaning the durometer is in the 60 range, so that's a little bit firmer, you know, the 4.0 is a bit softer, and, and the, so the 4.0 allows for a bit more pedal feel and a bit more um, additional flex uh, as well because it's softer. So it's, you know, trying to find what the right rider for the right condition, you know, what what are you looking for? And it's it's good to help guide people too because, like, Again, you know, they might have heard, oh, I, I heard I need something stiff. Well, it's like, well, what kind of riding are you doing? You know, what, how much, how much are you doing hike bikes? Um, let's find the right shoe for you rather than just saying, you know, oh, you, you need stiffness. Well, not everyone does. Um, and, and some who think they might actually shouldn't and should probably be looking at different directions. So I think it's just educating the, you know, educating everyone on, on the options out there and features and benefits, you know, what kind of riding do you do? Okay. This I think is going to be probably the way you want to, you want to head towards and and try this instead. And, um, that's, you know, that's what we hope to do with, with our customers is just try to help point them in the right direction and, and what fits what they're doing, you know, rather than just having a blanket statement of saying like, Oh, all shoes should be this or, or something like that. Yeah. Well, ride concepts is known 
um, mostly for flat pedal shoes. Um, it's what you guys started out with initially, but you do also offer some clipless models. I'm interested to know what you think about the trend toward moving cleat positions toward back, back on the shoe toward the midfoot. Is that a reaction to sort of getting closer to how people ride flat pedals or, or is it about something different? I think a lot of it is. It's, you know, dropping the heel, being able to do that, being able to get a bit more aggressive and realizing that in most aspects of mountain biking, that the power isn't all coming from the ball of your foot. You know, it, it's, I, it's also the thing is as our riding styles change is the terrain that we ride changes. And as bike geometry changes, these are very important things to consider. You know, I mean the, the, the geometry of the bikes that we're riding now and the capabilities of these bikes are so much more than what they were five, six, eight years ago. It's crazy, right? You know, we're seeing enduro bikes, all mountain bikes coming out with 63 to 64 degree head angles, which a downhill bike didn't even have a handful of years ago. The, your, your reach and your length is getting longer. You know, your, your position on the bike has changed so much. So of course that's going to affect your contact points, you know, uh, wider handlebars, different contact points from your, on your hands than it was five, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Pedals are way different. You know, when it comes to flat pedals, our pedals have gotten a lot larger, which is great. You know, more platform, more grip. Um, it makes total sense. So I think that what you're saying, there is something there in the sense of people that have ridden flat pedals and it might also clip in, um, saying like, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense to have your cleat all the way forward. And then the challenges that presents in footwear design is that, you know, you're, that you design different cleat box windows and, and cleat plates to accommodate that. And, um, even when you look at like the, the outsole of the shoe and you look at the, the alignment of the cleat plate, you have to consider where the cleat is going to be placed when you're designing that cleat box. Um, because if someone runs their, you have limits on to how long you can actually have a, a cleat plate because, you know, it could break. It, it, it essentially also when someone aligns their cleat all the way back versus all the way forward, it will change how that shoe and how your foot's positioned on the pedal. You know, like there's so long that you realistically can kind of design for um, before something gets out of whack, right? Before your foot starts pointing the wrong direction or something. I think that, uh, you know, the, the trend of going back towards the, further towards the middle of the shoe, make, it makes sense. It, it's the type of riding we do too. You know, we currently don't have an XC specific shoe. We're very much more focused on the trail, all mountain and gravity segments. So it's pretty rare to find a rider now that's going to ride that type of terrain with the cleat way up on the toe. You know, it's, it's definitely further back and and again a lot of that's coming down to riding styles and bike geometries and things like that it's it's going to be more comfortable for most people to have it a little further back easier to get in and out of the pedal things like that and that's what we try to design our shoes for you know we'll we're we're building out that clip line and and there's going to be a lot more clip offerings coming from us in the future Hmm. well let's talk about shoe closures are there advantages to using traditional laces like a lot of ride concept shoes do versus using something like Velcro or BOA? Are there advantages in terms of performance or is that more of a aesthetic consideration? I think there's advantages and disadvantages to all of them. And um, obviously, you know, using a traditional lace system allows you to keep the cost down to the consumer. Laces can break, sure, but I think that that's 
pretty uncommon. So mm-hmm. you compare that to a, 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 a fast dial closure system that is, could be nice and technical, but the challenges to that are what happens if it breaks on the trail, you know, you don't, you might not have a backup plan. There's, it's just that there's no waste closure. It's, it has its own positives and, and disadvantages to it, mm-hmm. but you know, it also has a lot of costs. So it, it's not to say that we won't have different closure systems in the future. Um, I think that there's a lot of good options out there, but it's always just weighing that, you know, benefit over the risk of what happens if it breaks, what happens if it fails mm-hmm. and you know, how much does a consumer want to pay to have that feature? So, right. Yeah. You know, now we are on a, on a lace closure system for all of our shoes. Some of them also have a power strap, such as our um, TNT flat pedal shoe or our transition and traverse clip shoes. So there's obviously a lot of opinions out there on, on what is the best or, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be expanding upon it for sure. You know, we're, we're testing a lot of things right now and we'll, we'll see what we come up with. But, um, I, you know, no matter what it is, you have positives and, and challenges to, to all of them. So I think that, you know, one of the reasons we've used laces, just like you said too, was, was the aesthetic thing too, you know, as, as we started this product line and everything was like, we still wanted to keep somewhat of a casual feel to the shoes. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why we're on lace, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have some other things in the future for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to make sense for the type of riding that you're designing for where, you know, you're not necessarily clipping in as much. Um, it's not about pedal efficiency in terms of like pulling up on the pedals or, you know, really having to have that like secure connection. But man, you got to have some good lace uh, holders on your shoes or something because mine always get stuck in my chain no matter what I do. Seems like laces are, are always trying to get caught. Well, and that's why all of our shoes offer a lace tuck system. You know, it's um, just a, a little elastic piece on the top of the tongue, and and uh, you, that allows you to tuck that lace in there. And um, we should probably promote that more because I think sometimes we don't talk about that much, and people like it's actually one of the cool features that people will, you know, they'll share on social or we'll see people talk about it's like oh i love how the laces tuck into this or you watch someone's youtube review and and they like are stoked on it because a lot of a lot of shoes don't have it so right so what makes it a mountain bike shoe too i mean it it makes it different from your vans i don't know maybe vans have that too but yeah it's something you got to have yeah the the same goes for the gusseted tongue so that's two things about the tongue area that we do on all of our shoes is the lace tuck and and the gusseted tongue i mean even a lot of our competition out there does not do elastic tongues on their, you know, premier shoes, um, especially in flat paddles. And it just blows me away. It's like you just have a standard cheap tongue. It's not gusseted. It, it allows all the dirt to come in. Um, it doesn't offer as good of a fit because the tongue slides off to the side and it's like, you know, wrapped around your ankle. And it's, I never understood that. So it's like, you know, we do gusseted tongues on everything and it's it's the way to go i mean it, it it makes a difference in how much dirt you're keeping out and and the overall fit of the shoe so it's just that's our thing it's, you know it's the attention to detail it's better materials better product and having that attention it's just realistic because we're riders we ride every day and that's what we want you know it's 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 the little things and i guess it's just funny to talk about that with you it makes me realize we should probably talk about those little things a little bit more <laughs> because like i said it's just those are the things that add up that make 
to add the value to the shoe. And you can get a hundred dollar shoe from us with all those same features that a lot of our competition does not have at $150. And I think that's what we're really proud of that, that we're able to do. Yeah. Well, what types of features can you build into a, a mountain bike shoe to provide protection against injury? And when I'm talking about injury, you know, obviously there are crashes and, and rock strikes and things like that. But I'm also thinking like overuse injury, you know, like if we are out riding all day, like what are the things that can be done with a mountain bike shoe to keep us, keep our feet happy? Yeah, well, the, you know, that's, that's a great question. And one thing that we, one fundamental point that we try to achieve when we're designing any new product is to fit three main criteria. And that's number one, fit and form. Number two, comfort and protection. Number three, rubber and outsole. So we look at those three major points every for everything we design. And when it comes to that protection, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cool things going on there. And we, we, we have a pretty substantial protection story across our entire line. So one thing we do is partner with D3O and they're an impact material, impact absorbing material company based out of the UK that, you know, their products are used in hockey and technology, you know, of course, motorsports, um, mountain bike, and they have a lot of different types of materials that all are about absorbing impact and dispersing it. And the cool thing about their product is we use it in the insoles of all of our shoes. We use it in the toe and the heel. And that just allows, you know, a lot of your just general chatter on the trail can be absorbed into that and dispersed. Um, and then secondly, if you have like a big get off, um, you land on your, your heel or something, it'll absorb some of that impact and it absorbs that impact and disperses it. So you have, you know, less of a chance of bruised heel, things like that. In our higher-end shoes, we use it in the medial collars, so our, our clip shoes, our transition and traverse, and then um, our power line and TNT. We use a, 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 a form of ethereal material in that medial collar to protect against crank strikes or other things you might hit on the trail. So that's just you know, one example for protection. And then secondly, um, we use a lot of toe and heel cap, heel cap protection across the line. Even our $100 live wire is a custom-molded toe box, which is kind of crazy. That means that every size shoe gets its own custom molded piece. And then that gets put on the shoe. It's not a cheap thing to do, but one of those added value things that offers a lot more protection. It's, it's, it's very durable. Um, so that we use that across the line. Um, even our, our vice shoe, which is, you know, that more lifestyle look and an aesthetic to it. We use a TPU protection inside which you can't even tell from the outside. It, it doesn't look bulky. It doesn't look crazy. But internally there, you have a nice protective uh, toe cap. So it's it's just this like, you know, hidden hidden in the aesthetic is, is the actual performance. So those are, you know, just some of the things that we do to, to think about protection and without hopefully overbuilding, you know. it's uh, It's just something that's practical. I mean, for example, you know, we have a new shoe coming out next month, and I was testing it this past summer at um, North Star um, local mountain bike park resort here uh, in Truckee, and I was just cruising down on literally like a green or blue trail that's pretty straightforward. You know, doesn't require a lot of thought or uh, not really many big features on it, and I smashed my toe on something. I never saw what it was, and it, you know, it hurt, of course, but. The cool thing was, was that like, you know, putting that toe box protection 
to the test. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, I wonder if I'm going to lose my toenail. Just thinking when I, when I, right after I did it, you know, that initial impact. But it wasn't long before I just forgot about it. And at the end of the day, I'm in the parking lot taking my shoes off and I remembered. I was like, oh, I really smashed my toe hard. So I'm looking at the shoe and there's a little, there was a chunk, a little chunk taken out of the toe box. I mean, I smashed that thing hard. But I looked at my toe, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's totally fine. And I examined the shoe and it's like, well, it did its job, you know, like mountain biking is going to hurt when you crash, right? It's going to hurt when you hit something, no matter what you're wearing, what you're using. But I just think this is why people need to get a, a legit bike shoe. It doesn't matter what brand you get or what, just get something, you know, I mean, it's all better than that $60 quote, regular, normal shoe that doesn't have anything. I mean, any bike shoe with protection is going to keep you coming back and riding every day compared to, uh, you know, you decide to save 30, 40 bucks. You ended up with a, um, casual sneaker and then you take an unexpected hit to the toe and you're out, you know, it's like, nah, I can't ride my bike for a couple of weeks. So those are just the realistic things that's, it's worth, it's worth a few extra bucks, you know, to have the right, the right thing. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, I consider myself a decent rider, but look, I go out on a green and blue trail and I smash the shit out of my foot. I mean, you just don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, is there also, I guess, a balance there that you have to keep in mind? I mean, ankle protection, for example, you know, it seems like it would be a really good thing until you remember you have to pedal a bike for the most part. I mean, unless you're, you're just, you know, hitting downhill laps. Um, so, so yeah, how do you balance that? Like the fact that, that our feet are very active in biking compared to even say like motorsports or, or things like that with the need to also protect. It's, you know, materials have come a long way. When we designed our power line shoe, which is an asymmetrical mid top, the, the medial side of the shoe, um, which is the inside part, essentially, um, it's, you know, that, that's a higher increased height over the, um, over the other part of the shoe. And it's like, it's, it's just thinking of it in terms like that, that you look at the shoe and, you know, when we, when we were designing that, I've always been a low top shoe kind of person. I, I'm not a person who generally wears mid tops or high tops or anything. And I was looking at the shoe and it's like, oh, it's pretty protective. You know, I'm curious how it's going to pedal, you know, and as I started testing it, I was blown away at how you never noticed that it's actually there. So that's one thing I always tell people about that shoe. I'm like, try this on, you know, it, and everyone that puts it on says, Oh, it hugs my foot. Like it's super comfortable. And they're like, well, how does it pedal? You know, I, I'm not, I'm not used to wearing a mid top or whatever. And I'm like, just try it out. And everyone says like, yeah, it, you don't notice it. So it, it's just using the right materials and having the right fit and it allows for that protection without inhibiting being out all day and, and having to pedal. And, you know, um, that power line is one of my favorite shoes in the line because it just, just like the customers say, it hugs your foot and you don't realize you have that additional protection there until you, until something happens and you need it and you're glad it's there. So it's just being attentive to that detail in the design and, you know, using, use a microfiber material on our upper that's, just really soft and comfortable yet it's really durable and it, i think we've come you know technology's come a long way from years back where if you're making a high top or mid top shoe it's generally pretty bulky right and a lot of material heavy you know probably not that conducive to pedaling and 
different foot movements that you need as a mountain biker, but things have definitely progressed and that's, that's, that's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about sort of how the environmental impact of shoes are considered when they're being designed and manufactured. Are there ways that you can minimize the impact uh, that shoes have? I mean, obviously there's a lot of materials that go into it, plastics and things like that. And, and then shoes, you know, they wear out. I mean, most of us probably get a new pair maybe almost every season. And so we're, we're throwing away a lot of shoes. Like how much of that, um, are you able to control or, or sort of minimize through design and, and construction? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a challenge and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, um, footwear is a, an environmentally sustainable thing you know i mean there's a lot of companies out there they're they're really making some strides and in, in trying to limit their footprint and that's super commendable and, and we're working to do the same and there's so many different things you have to think about because for one we're we're building this purpose-built footwear that uses high friction rubber and rubber is not an environmentally friendly thing in itself you know producing rubber the materials have to be durable, like you said. Um, but and then you got to consider the supply chain, you know, whether it's from production to sourcing those materials to shipping them around the globe and then shipping them to a dealer. You know, you, you, it all adds up, right? To get a pair of shoes to your house, there's certainly an impact there. And then the other thing, too, is that even when you have some certain types of recycled materials, that doesn't mean that the footprint is actually smaller, you know, to, to make that recycled material. So you have to be very careful when you're, when you're looking at, at all this and, and figuring it out. It's like, you, you can't, you know, as a, as a company, we can't just take it something at face value and be like, Oh, well, this is going to, you know, definitely decrease footprint. You, you got to look into it a lot further than that. So the cool things that we're doing at the moment are, um, testing some new materials that do have, less waste and a recycled component to them that may also even increase our performance. So, you know, we won't put it in the line and, and into a product until we know for sure that it's going to help us on all those fronts. And, you know, first of all, it's about quality and the performance and that has to still be there no matter what type of material it is. So, um, but there's some cool things that we're working on that I think are, you know, are looking pretty positive in that way. Um, one thing we're doing next year is changing our packaging to be more, um, environmentally friendly using a lot less ink for one being, you know, a recycled type of shoe box. I mean, um, the hang tags, all of that, we're, it's all going to be updated and we're looking at all those things because, you know, ink adds up, um, obviously shoe boxes, they end up in landfills, you know, sometimes they can be recycled, sometimes not. So those are all steps we're taking to, to help that aspect of it. You know, we, try to be as efficient as possible because we're a small company. We, we, we don't want waste. Um, and the good thing is, is with production and technologies these days, is there's a lot less waste than there used to be. So hmm. things, you know, all those things add up and it's as a new company, we're certainly, we have a long way to go. You know, that's, that that's for sure is that there's a lot of things that we want to work on to, um, to decrease that environmental footprint. And that's something that I'm passionate about myself personally. So, um, it's a, it's something that that's, it's an important thing while also realizing that, you know, like I said, when you, when you have uh, high friction rubber that you need to perform that, you know, that's certainly not the, the best thing for the environment either. Right. Yeah. 
Well, where are most mountain bike shoes manufactured? Is it is it kind of concentrated in a, a certain part of the world uh, where these things are being made? Yeah, I mean, it's it's largely Asia, and we're very fortunate to have um, some amazing factories that we've that we've partnered with very closely, and and um, that are really really good at building a great product and not being wasteful and because it benefits everybody, you know, I mean, it doesn't benefit them either to have to waste materials. And so they're, they're right in the development with us and it's, it's been, it's been awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think I'd say all pretty much all mountain bike shoes are probably produced in, in Asia. And, um, but the thing is, is that there's some really great factories too. It's, for us, you know, a lot of our business is international as, as we're, a, you know, we've only been around a couple of years. Um, you know, it's not the United States that's, that's our main driver. You know, our, some of our biggest customers are, are actually, um, New Zealand, Australia, where mountain biking is huge, you know, close to the Asian, Asian facilities. So when they, when they take product, they get it right from our factory. So we're not shipping it all the way here and back to there. We're, we're growing in a lot of areas out there and, and Europe is huge too. You know, obviously mountain biking is massive in in, um, France and UK and Germany. So those are all things to consider and, and things in the future, you know, about potentially having warehousing in those areas. So there's less back and forth of product across the globe and, and things like that. So it's, it's a, it's a global thing. Right. Yeah. It's all related. And, you know, it sounds like on, on a lot of fronts, it's, you know, doing the right thing for the environment is also, like you said, it's saving you costs in terms of manufacturing if you're not wasting things. And it's also, you know, if you're making your product more durable, it's going to last longer and people aren't going to have to, you know, buy a new pair of shoes every year. Maybe they can get a year and a half out of them. Um, but yeah, the performance one still seems to be the sticking point where we want something to perform, you know, absolutely as best as it can. And, that seems like the harder one to optimize for in terms of the environment. It, it is for sure, you know, and I think that the technology is going to get there and, and, and things, you know, we'll eventually have things that are going to have performance and be better for the environment. Um, it's, it's all, but it's still all consumable good. You know, that's, that's the thing that I, and I stress over that. It's like, we're, we're making things that are, that are consumed and, you know, I try to weigh it, I guess with like, the benefits of getting outside and, and being mentally sane and physically fit and having fun, right? Like that's part of it. Um, but, but certainly a consumable good and we, we want to do the, the best we can in, in all the areas that we can. So, you know, we're slowly getting there, but it's, yeah, like doing packaging without ink. I mean, it, in the end, it kind of ends up saving you money and you're not being wasteful and look at all those little things and, less shipments around the globe is always better and more cost effective. Yeah. Yeah. Good perspective. Well, how are women's mountain bike shoes different from men's ride concepts, uh, has shoes for both genders. Some are designated women's shoes. Some are designated men's shoes. What, what's the difference? How does ride concepts, uh, approach that? It's just the colors, right? Jeff, isn't that it? Just color. <laughs> well, sometimes it is right. Yeah. Everybody's got a different take on that. So I'm curious to know if there's, you know, yeah. What is the difference? 
for us, um, like I said, like when we design shoes, it's it's got to hit those fit and form, comfort and protection, rubber and outsole um, criteria. And right from the start, when we launched this company, our founder Brandon was like, you know, I want shoes that fit well for the entire family because at the time when he was starting this, his son was was racing downhill, and there was hardly any product, good mountain bike specific product for for youth on the market. You know, so there was like one flat pedal shoe and he was ending up with bruised heels and, you know, poor fit. And Brandon has a, has a big background in product, um, across outdoor and sports industry. And he's like, I, I think we can make a better shoe than this. Like this just doesn't make sense. So the key, you know, of the foundation of, of ride concepts was to have purpose built footwear for the whole family, for men, women, youth, you know, mm-hmm. and, the shape of the foot for a youth compared to a woman compared to men is all, it's all very different. You know, it's like, we're not generally wearing, you know, we, we have, we have pretty specific apparel, you know, for, for everybody. Why, why shouldn't footwear, you know, be any different, especially when, you know, a, a woman's foot's quite a bit different. You know, you might have a smaller heel, but a wider ball girth uh, for women. And it's like, it, it, it very, you know, it goes all over. So, so fit in general, it was, is such a specific thing for us to, to really focus on. So to do that, we use gender specific lasts and a last is you know the beginning of the development of a shoe. It's a 3d form of a foot. So, you know, a, a men's last is going to vary from a women's last. Like I said, the women's last is going to have like a smaller heel, different, uh, width in the in your in your toe box and your, in what's called a ball girth and at the same point they also need to are these last specific to ride concepts like do you come up with your own or is there like a catalog you can do either um you know then there any any company can do you can pay to develop your own last or you can you know you can get one that's off the shelf and and, and ours were developed um so yeah we, we own these lasts and so basically like our our Livewire and Hellion um, shoes, the flat pedal shoes, they're on one last. Our clipless shoes are on a different last um, in our higher end, you know, flat pedal shoes as well. So we use several different lasts across the line. And then, you know, obviously the, then the gender-specific versions of them. So when you have the – when you start with a good last, then that means that you can form the shoe to a better fit. You know, there's always things you can do sometimes to, like – you know, take shortcuts. And that's what some of the competition does is like when they don't have a women's specific last, they'll just kind of take the men's and modify it a bit, but it, it's not, it's never the same. And I think that, you know, when you look at the reviews for a product that we, we have a lot of positive reviews on fit and, and, um, when you go up against the competition that I think people are pretty satisfied with, with what we have out there because of that, because we've started with the proper lasts um and we haven't just taken a men's shoe and shrunk it and said you know oh here's a women's shoe so that's what we stand behind and you see a lot of companies that come out with getting into the bike footwear these days you know it's, it's becoming a more competitive space but how many of them are, are offering a women's line how many of them are offering youth shoes a lot of them aren't and a lot of the you know i get it it's it's maybe a smaller market but that wasn't going to, to deter us because we know that that market's there and that you know, these riders deserve good shoes. That's why we started this. So we put all that same attention into a youth shoe as we do a, a men's shoe because it, it needs to fit well. It needs to have the right protection and it needs to be durable. You know, the parents don't want those laces coming undone, right? Right. <laughs> right. Well, is there, I mean, do you have to start from scratch essentially like measuring a bunch of feet or is there like data out there where you can say, okay, like, 
here's generally, you know, how women's feet are different than men and kids are different from adults? Um, or is that something where you're just like, well, let's figure it out? Yeah, there's there's certainly data out there. You know, there's, there's great places to start from, and our development team has done footwear for years, so it's like they they already have a great base to start from. They know what works, they know what doesn't work. But you start testing product, you know, again, we're not just even the the last of the fit, but the the flex has to matter too. So we're testing different, you know, the rubber adds to that, the the different asker ratings and the midsoles that we use. Um, they all vary across the range for men, women, and youth. So we we put it to the test to make sure it works as a comprehensive package because you can have one element of, of the design dialed, but if you mess up the midsole flex or rubber compound or something, then it just throws it all off, you know. So it's a you obviously have those data points to start from with the design, but until you get into real world testing and put it all together, you know, that that's what really matters. Well, I want to ask you a bit of a marketing question here. You know, Ride Concepts sponsors athletes like uh, Rachel Atherton um, and a number of other pros. And I'm curious to know, how do you quantify sort of the return on these sort of endorsement deals, um, especially when there are other people out there like influencers and, and other marketing opportunities? Do you have a way to know sort of like, how that influences consumers and especially, you know, in the footwear market? Yeah, there is ways, um, you know, especially as uh, social media, you know, whether you love it or hate it, has become such an important aspect of marketing. It's um, it's a very trackable thing. So, you know, when you go back to the days where, what, print ads or commercials or something like that was the way of marketing or billboards, like, None of those things are easy to quantify. You know, you, you can say, oh, we're going to get this many views, but you don't really know how many people have seen it or you know, anything. So the cool thing about the digital world that we live in now is that everything can be measured. And um, to take our, our athletes, for example, you know, you, you sign a factory elite athlete for numerous reasons, you know, for their racing, for their personality, for their ability to promote a product and win in it and, you know, the old thing of, winning on Sunday, selling on Monday. I mean, yeah, you take all that into consideration. But it's also very important for athletes these days to have that online social media presence um, because it's, it's you know, that's how so many people pay attention these days and follow along. And, and that's all quantifiable. You know, we have software that tracks all of those things. When someone mentions us, we can, you know, see how many hits it's getting or likes or whatever it might be. So it's... um. Yeah, it's certainly quantifiable, and it's in even it's interesting sometimes because, you know, obviously it's harder to quantify maybe your your elite athlete you know winning and being and knowing how many people go out and buy your shoe because someone won in it. But you know, we we have a pretty good influencer program across the globe of riders that maybe aren't all professional necessarily, but they're they're in their community being active. They have followings for certain reasons you know and when we partner with them you can sometimes see some really impressive results um through instagram through youtube things like that because they have a following and they're just influential i mean that's why they're called influencer right because they just have whatever they're doing their personality their involvement in the riding community um maybe people trust them as a um as an authority on on technique and gear and product, and they're willing to um, you know to to buy into that. And I mean, Kyle Warner's a great example. You know what Kyle and his girlfriend are doing 
through their YouTube videos and just being, you know, the, you know, he's a professional rider, but he just approaches it in such a, you know, common person way of like, let me show you how to do a wheelie and here's how I learned. And here's how I think that it would be, you know, good for you to learn. And then, you know, he's endorsing our product and, um, and people see that and they're like, Oh, you know, I love watching his videos cause he's just such a, you know, good guy to, to listen to and he's real and he really breaks it down. And, and, um, so, you know, that stuff is so quantifiable because they're, you know, he's putting out on his social media channels, on his YouTube, et cetera. And, and you're seeing in real time, the views, the hits, the people commenting and saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go get that product because I think it's going to help me. And, um, I think that's, that's the cool part of it. You know, it's, there, there's some cool things that happen, um, with the technology we have these days and, and, uh, it's, it's fun to, to be involved in that and then see how you can, you know, progress and grow because of it and the people that you're part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You make a good point that, you know, athletes are influencers too. You know, I mean, they're both, both of these groups, they're doing kind of the same thing. And it's just a matter of like, why are you influential? Is it because you're winning races or is it because you have a personality or, you know, you're really knowledgeable? I mean, there's a lot of different things and it's, it's interesting because there is this debate in mountain biking about, you know, our, which, which one is, is more important? Is it the athlete or the influencer? And like, really, I think it's all about who is influential. Um, and, and that takes a lot of different forms. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, like you look at our factory team and Paul Basagosh has done an awesome job of signing up. You know, we have one hell of a team, you know, Kyle Strait, Greg Watts, Caroline Buchanan, Atherton's, um, Andre Lacani. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And we choose, we choose our team very carefully because, um, we want them to fit with the brand. We want this to be a home for them. You know, we want them to be stoked with our product, obviously. But we, we also know that they're all influential in their own way. You know, like the way that Andreo is influential is going to be very different than the way that Rachel Atherton is, or again, compared to our, in, our normal influencer team. But it doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, we, you need to hit all those areas and, that's what's kind of cool in, in today's environment is with the world being so much more connected, it's just so much easier to do that. So I think that the key is, is that, you know, no matter what you're doing, you kind of do have to have that online presence anymore to, if you don't, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Well, have you run into any notable challenges or surprises since the launch of Ride Concepts? A pandemic. <laughs> That doesn't count. We're, we're all facing that. What else you got? Yeah. I mean, who could have, you know, ever expected that to happen? You know, when, when, when Brandon was launching this and, and we were meeting for the first time and I'm just like, you're crazy, man, to start a footwear company. There's so many challenges to go into a footwear company. You know, there's so many different pieces to put together a, a good shoe. Um, and then you have, then what, it gets on a boat and you have to risk pirates. <laughs> Right. Literal pirates. I mean, yeah, it, it's happened. You know, it, it does happen Literally, than, than getting into a port and, oh, well, guess what? You know, the containers are all backed up or the port's on strike. And then this has to go from the port to the warehouse. And then, oh, well, the warehouse is busy because of this. So it's going to take this many days. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that go into it in, in any aspect that you look at. You can pick any little angle of the business and you're going to find challenges, you know, especially in the footwear. So I think that People don't 
understand how complex footwear actually is, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I could just spend 60 bucks and go, go do this. It's like, yeah, you can, but there's a lot of challenges that, that are overcome in, in us bringing a good product to the market. And, um, you know, there's obviously costs involved to that, but, um, I mean, you know, we've all done this for a while, so I think we kind of known what to predict and everything, you know, you just don't know sometimes when it's going to happen. Like, again, you know, there's this year there's been container shortages coming out of Asia. So it's like trying to find, trying to get your products, um, onto a container and when it's done, you know, you're waiting around for that. Fortunately, we've not had inventory problems. We have great factories we work with, you know, we're, we're forecasting ahead, um, We've forecasted, you know, well, I think. And so as compared to some companies in the industry that just, you know, when, who would have predicted that bike sales would have gone as crazy as they have, you know, with the pandemic. And we were in a lucky inventory position that, that we were we were ready for growth. And um, we, we've been very fortunate. But it's, you know, I feel I feel for the product managers across the hard goods and bike of, you know, sourcing and their materials to make to make bikes and, and get components and everything. Right. I mean, it's such a challenge right now. And, um, mm-hmm. as, as complex as footwear is, I wouldn't want to be in their position. <laughs> so, I mean, we've been fortunate as, again, is what I'm saying is like, you know, we have a good organic growth. I think, um, you know, like I said, we were pretty well poised and, and knew what the challenges were to this. So, you know, the, obviously the pandemic was, was a scare at first, but once people started to get outside and, and things like that, then that, you know, that was good for the entire, for the entire industry and for, for everybody involved. It's, it's, it's able to get outside, you know, and, and obviously some people can't, and, and that's, that's, um, a, a big, you know, downside to all this happening. It's, it's, it's tough on a lot of people, but, um, you know, and then again, again, you know, working, we work, we all work remotely for a very long time and there's challenges in that. And, you know, so there's certainly always things that you can't predict, but I think, when you're part of footwear in this industry, you, you know that there's going to be there's going to be things coming at you that you got to act quick on. And, and being a smaller company and a smaller team, we're able to react pretty quickly. So that's a kind of I think a benefit to us compared to being a a larger organization that you know might move slower to react to something. So I think it's it's some of these challenges in the end kind of work to your advantage. But um, we're always trying to improve product and things. So there's you know, we talk all the time, like, you know, how long does something stay in the line till we update it? You know, is it going to, is that going to frustrate our distributors, you know, our international customers? It's, it, there's, there's always things like that as a newer company. It's like, you know, what we try to make the best decision possible for the long term brand. And, um, that's sometimes that those are the challenges. Like, you know, those are just things I'm thinking of that's happened in the past week and we sit down, it's like, okay, it's kind of an annoying decision to make. It's going to affect us here and here, but for the long term, of the brand, it's the best way to go. Yeah. Well, what is next for the brand? Imagine, uh, for one thing, as a new company, there are probably holes in the product line you'd like to fill, but what, what are you looking at for the next few years? Um, you know, balancing out the line a bit more. So we have more clipless offerings. So, you know, like you said, we're kind of known as a flat pedal company, um, that again, has a really good clipless couple models out there, uh, endorsed by Atherton racing. So, um, they're, that's the thing, you know, we're going to balance the line out more. We're going to fill those holes in the clipless side, bring out some really awesome product there, continue to focus on the best product possible across men, women, and youth, um, you know, uh, expanding upon 
just the specific mountain bike categories that we're in, you know, bringing in some little bit more um, diversity, of course, and some kind of some new categories I think you're going to see coming in the way. You know, we're super into developing the 2022 product right now and and beyond. So there's a lot going on. Um, the com- our, our internal team is growing. There's, you know, almost back to what you just asked about the challenges. I mean, like we haven't had an event in a year. You know, the last event that we went to was Sedona. We went to Sedona Mountain Bike Festival, which is so fun, so awesome. Uh, that that's been 11 months, and it's like you know adapting to the changing environment of like trade shows aren't what they used to be. They're not really happening, you know, so how do you conduct business in, in all these, in all these ways these days? So it's, it's trying to quickly react to, to all that, you know, and, and reaching, reaching the customer in different ways, you know, and that's supporting our bike shops. Um, you know, bike shops have had their challenges, but also you know, a lot of good things with customers coming out and seeking bikes. So how do we best service our independent bike dealers across the globe? Um, how do we service our online customers? Um, these are all things that we're working every day to to try to keep up with and, and progress with, and there's there's a lot going on. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that we have a good team, and we're we're starting to be able to build it out a little more because um, yeah, there's we're busy. <laughs> yeah, right on. Sounds like it. Well, Rick, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, uh, fill us in a little bit more on mountain bike footwear and ride concepts. And, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing what the brand does next. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, if we would have had video on here, you could have seen my, my cat face, you know, but unfortunately, really, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's super fun to talk more about this kind of stuff. Thank you. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.